Oh, cool. Well, I don't know about Charlottesville. Um, I mean, yeah, we got to talk about it. I don't really know what to say. I mean, I've got a lot of thoughts. <clears throat> well, I mean, let's so, jump into it. What, what are your thoughts? Just, just go with it. Yeah. It's always the, always the better <laughs> way for our shit. Yeah, exactly. When we try to skull things, like, it, it never turns out well. No, it doesn't. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think a lot of people are simultaneously have a lot to say and are also at a loss for words. Right after um, watching the events unfold in Charlottesville Friday night and uh, Saturday, um, and then kind of the aftermath is—I don't know. This is hard, right? Because it's kind of like nothing really surprises me anymore with Trump, but it's still kind of shocking. You know, if those yeah. can both be true at the same time. Um, yeah. I mean, we are obviously. Uh, I think a lot of people have been shaken by what happened in uh, Charlottesville. I think we are we are definitely in that boat. Um, I was especially encouraged to see uh, just how many clergy were out there in Charlottesville. I did hear a few reports of some clergy um, you know, getting injured, uh, being attacked by um, some of the white nationalist KKK neo-Nazis that were out there. Um, but by and large, I think most of the clergy, when they realized things are getting pretty hairy, they got out of the situation. Um, <clears throat> what I've not been impressed with has been, right, there's been all the talk the past few days about uh, Trump's economic councils and people resigning from those. Uh, and so, of course, today he says, oh, well, I'm just going to go ahead and disband those. Like, uh, y'all go on your merry little way. Well, <laughs> right. Um but I haven't heard of any of his faith advisors quitting his you know, faith council. <laughs> yeah. Like, where's that whole, uh, the, you know, all those evangelical, um, you know, kind of kind of the conciliaries who, who right. were around him, male and female, black and white. Like, how in the hell could they sit by? And, and then today, Jerry Falwell Jr., right, like tweeted uh, – Oh well, you know we're so proud of Trump for speaking up for what really happened at Charlottesville, right? Which I don't know, man. This you know a lot of people are saying this, so there's nothing new for me. Um, but this isn't a really complicated situation. Like either you say, yeah, I'm going to carry water for white supremacists and neo Nazis and the KKK and literal Nazis, or I'm not going to. I mean, like, you know, there, there aren't many sides uh, to this thing. Um, and, and I understand, I mean, here's the thing. I can understand that there are a lot of people that are in a difficult situation because they have supported Trump for various reasons. Uh, what I cannot understand is how this, even if this doesn't get you to come out and say, I no longer support him as president and he should be impeached or something like that. Um, the people that are coming out with these milk toast responses, right? Like, Oh yeah, we just need a ding to, you know, we, you know, there's no place for hate here, but you know, not saying anything more. I mean, Marco Rubio was pretty forceful on Twitter, right? A couple of different times, which I appreciate yeah, now. Of course, yeah. Yes, you know, a lot of people are critical, like, oh, you got to follow up with action. That's absolutely true, but you got to start somewhere. 
Well, and right? for, I mean, for a little was... market to stand up, I mean, right? Exactly. As Trump called him. I mean, that was that was a big moment. I was I was encouraged by that. You know, and Lindsey Graham has right. stepped up, my my senator. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's um, I think that it. I don't know. This feels different, but you and I, we've been wrong so many times in the past couple of years with our <laughs> predictions. Like we had a pretty good track record for a while. And then the past two years, everything's just, yeah, just went, to, the crap. went to hell. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this, this feels different, right? Uh, Baltimore overnight, different. yeah, overnight, quietly Baltimore removed their Confederate statues yeah. last night, you know? Um, and I think you're right. I mean, this is a, I don't have any qualms in saying this is a domestic terrorist attack. Um, well, I, mean, I today, don't know that it will be charged that way, but that's exactly what it is, you know, by the uh, legal definition of it. That's what a lot of that's what Marco Rubio is calling it. That's what, you know, what McMaster said. That's what it was. Right. So when, um, when this happened in, you know, in England, I mean, this is exactly what we called it, you know, right. When it happened in Nice or Paris. Right, in yeah, in Nice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, I mean, last as night, as soon as it uh, happens, you know what it is. Yes. Yeah. Our, our mayor uh, here in Columbia, Steve Benjamin, was on MSNBC. Um, I forget. Was it? Um, I forgot what show he was on. Anyway, he he basically said, you know, yeah, we, you know, I, I think that we need to take down the Confederate statues, you know, in the state house in South Carolina, because if you don't know, like, you know, after Dylan Roof two years ago, I guess we took down the uh, the Confederate flag that that flew at a Confederate monument. When wasn't it? Wasn't it Bree Newsom? Wasn't she the one who did it initially? Wasn't that in South Carolina where she went and did that? Newsom? She climbed the oh the, yeah, uh, yeah flagpole right, and right. Well, well well so so I mean you know initially the Confederate flag went up over the state capitol in 1962 1961 I can't remember anyway so we took it down in wait hold on a second how many years after the Civil War ended is that it was it was to mark yeah like it was nineteen it, it was 1961 right so we we put it back <laughs> up to mark years yeah so we, we put it back up to to memorialize the Civil War and it stayed there and it never came back down uh so. It, it came down, and we put it onto a little monument, which is not little, right in front of the state house. So if if you're on, like, Main Street or Javay Street, which is the kind of the main thoroughfare right in front of the state house here, uh, there's this monument to the Confederate dead. And it's it's like this, um, I don't know, like, like this tower, and then it's got a little Confederate soldier on top. And there was a uh, flagpole right behind it with the Confederate flag. So it was almost worse because if you're looking at the state house, it's like boom right in your face. Uh, so he's, you know, he said, yeah, you know, we should take that down. But uh, like there are monuments all around our state house to people like um, this this physician during the Civil War, or well, shortly before the Civil War, uh, Doctor Something Sims. I'm gonna get grilled. I don't know my my upstate South Carolina history because it's a whole nother country here in in South Carolina. Anyway, he uh, he, he experimented on slaves. Um, and he, he was a, a early proponent of gynecological study, which, you know, he, he furthered the science of it. But at the same time, he basically tortured, you know, female slaves <laughs> to to figure that out, which is disgusting. And, and um, yeah, he, he was a slave owner and read all sorts of terrible things about it. But we have a huge monument to him, uh, you know, on our state house grounds. So uh, Steve Benjamin, who's an African-American who's our, our mayor here in Columbia said, you know, that's the statue we'd like to take down because that's a constant sort of reaffirmation. Like, you know, the, you, you can say one thing about the soldiers and, and the Confederate dead and that kind of thing, but like 
these men who were, you know, were doing these things. And then when the Civil War rolled around, they were, they were traitors. You know, so t- to hear Trump say, well, you know, so you're, you're going for Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson today, or you're going to go for George Washington and Thomas Jefferson tomorrow. Like that to me was, I mean, A, it showed what, a, what an idiot um, right. you know, president is historically. But B, like, if he's gaslighting, like, Jesus Christ, like, are, are you really equating George Washington with Robert E. Lee? Because there's only a special breed of person that does that, and that's called a, a neo-confederate or, or a racist or a Nazi or, you know, however deep down the rabbit hole of stormtrooper you want to go. But, wow, I was blown away by that equivocation. And that's what really frustrates me about the whole thing is like this whataboutism. And, and you right. hear this all the time. And as, as a former middle school teacher, I used to hear this all the time. <laughs> it's like, well, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I hit him in the head with a pencil, but she hit, hit him in the knee with, with an axe. And it's like, okay, well, that's bad too, but let's address what you did because you have agency and you are a person. So to hear a 72-year-old you know, person who's our president, who's the most powerful person in the world, it, like argue from the same perspective as a middle schooler is it, just it's maddening and I, I can't believe it every time i hear this this whataboutism this this moral equiv- equivalency as as you know cnn likes to say but it's it's whataboutism you know and and that that is not a good way to to make an argument and, and i just can't believe that we we're even talking about this well, I, you know, I, it just seems to me, and I said a little bit of this on Twitter, obviously, if you follow me there, but um, I asked the question last summer, um, you know, at what point do we stop kind of giving Trump the benefit of the doubt and saying it's not a coincidence that you are surrounding yourself with so many uh, white nationalists and white supremacists, um, that you're surrounding yourself with these type of people that, you know, your your campaign, your Twitter account continues to retweet white nationalists, continues to we, uh, retweet uh, white supremacist memes, uh, that your original logo bore a striking resemblance to a white nationalist logo, your, the original Trump Pence logo. Um, but but he deletes the retweet, so it's okay. I mean, he didn't but, but mean it, to But at some it. point, <laughs> at some point, I mean, and this is, I don't envy the job of journalists uh, in this day and age, but... And there are a lot of fantastic ones out there. So, um, you know, I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but you do often. I mean, I hear a lot of, you know, really smart journalists saying, well, you know, he's he's pandering to his base. He's pandering to his base and, his, you know, is a small, you know, ardent portion of his base of these, you know, white nationalists or whatever. But at a, at a certain point, we have to say this isn't just political pandering. Right. He's just telling us what he believes. And you saw this, uh, this you know, good reporting, and Glenn Thrush and Maggie Haberman, or Haberman, however you say her last name, and the New York Times have been doing fantastic reporting for the last year and a half. And um, in their piece that came out, I think it was yesterday, there was a kind of a throwaway line in there uh, that, like, aides were surprised that he was kind of saying this stuff out loud that he's been saying privately for a while. <laughs> it's like, this is, this is what he thinks. Like, this is what he believes. Right. So so I guess I'm just kind of tired. of. I'm tired of a couple things. One, I'm tired of uh, journalists giving him cover by saying, well, he's pandering to this group because he wants their votes. 
Because I don't think he deserves that benefit of the doubt because all of the evidence is to the contrary, that this is not just pandering, but this, this is legitimately what he believes. I'm also tired of every time something crazy happens, people being surprised. Right? I mean, I was writing about this back in the summer of 2015, saying yeah. these are like people's legitimate fears that some of us have about what could happen. They haven't all come true. Um, but, you know, did you think what are, we're less than a year in? We're, uh, what are we? We're nine months into Trump's presidency. And not even, I mean, it's- right. Not even nine full months in. And we, may or may not be on the brink of nuclear war with North Korea. And, oh, yeah, we're debating whether, like, Nazis are good, nice people. <laughs> well, and, and like, the whole business thing, you know, we, we elected Trump as Americans because he was the art of the deal maker. You know, he, he, he knows how to make a deal. He's a business guy. We need an outsider. And he gets in. And what happens today? Like, major American CEOs of these mega global corporations that control the economy fled because they don't want to be associated with them. And that's, that's astonishing for a Republican president to see the business community flee before something like the evangelical community does. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you think about like, I I, I would have, and I'm sure we'll, we'll have a book one day or, or a podcast or something where we can hear that phone call, that conference call that happened today, where evidently all the CEOs get on the conference call yeah. and they're like, yeah, we're all out. Like, <laughs> forget this, man. Right, and then, of course, Trump's like, you can't quit. I fired you. Yeah, okay. yeah, and, and then to, to try to play that game where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm disbanding those, those, uh, those committees because, you know, losers. When 26 hours ago, he said, oh, well, for everyone that, you know... <laughs> For every right. member that, that that quits, I've got numerous people who are going to replace them. Evidently not, and it doesn't matter. Not. And it doesn't matter. And and that's the like the the bat poop insane part of this is that we keep um, we keep making excuses and saying, well, uh, that's just silly old Trump. Like uh, as you keep saying, what's the point where we say, no, he's the president of the United States. And he can't he can't do what he did yesterday with, with that speech. He, he you know like ugh. well I've been I've been glad so I'm I'm obviously disappointed um, to put it lightly in the members of his faith advisory council that uh, have not decided to resign from that you know Robert Jeffress who is I am no fan of his he did come out with a you know a statement kind of you know condemning you know, hate, hate, white nationalism, violence, stuff like that. But, you know, I, I think it could have been stronger and I think he could, you know, there are things he could actually do. Um, and Trump may listen to him. But so, so, so you're saying a, a, a Christian should speak against Nazis? Yeah, that seems pretty unequivocal. Oh, okay, okay. I'm just making yeah. sure. Yeah. But okay. I've been, I've, I have been, I don't know if impressed is the right word, but glad to see a number of faith leaders and a number of conservative faith leaders. And I, and there have been a number of these that I've seen evangelical leaders saying there there is no question about this white supremacy, white nationalism, KKK, neo-Nazis is sin. Right. And a lot of people saying, you know, this is 
like this is from Satan, et cetera, et cetera, which is probably which is definitely not terminology. That, that was I would Russell use. Moore. Yeah, that was Russell Moore, right? Saying yeah. that this is from Satan, this is evil, and this is sin. I've been, I've, I'm glad to have seen um, a number of faith leaders, both progressive and conservative, come out unequivocally on that. Um, I, I think that is necessary. I think that needs to continue. Um, but there are enough of them that are not, that are dancing around it for whatever reason. And um, you're only continuing to breed more of that uh, when you do that. And, and the thing is, right, I mean, uh, so a friend of mine, Kelly Baker, she did her uh, PhD at FSU like I did. Uh, she studies the Klan. So she was on MSNBC this weekend, and she's got a really great book called The Gospel According to Klan. And um, you know, it's good to see people recognizing her scholarship. It's not good because of what her scholarship is on that it's relevant right now. You know, it's basically she studied the 1920s Klan, and um, uh, but but you know, you she will tell you, and you know, probably most people know, but just how big of a role kind of the church played in and continues to play in, um groups like the Klan and other, you know, others of these white nationalist and white supremacist groups. And I don't think that that's something that, that we as Americans can uh, afford to ignore or something that the church can afford to ignore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I just, no, no, no. It, it, you know, it's interesting to see that the differences in worldviews between kind of the, the, the later baby boomers who grew up in a world where, you know, the, the news cycle was much slower mm-hmm. and you had time to really kind of weigh and, and think about an issue and maybe put out a statement through your press agent or through, you know, your, your PR group or whatever. And people who grew up on things, you know, that, that were closer to something like Twitter where it's like, no, no, I, I need to make a statement now. Um, you know, and kind of evaluate. Cause, you know, I'm not saying either one is better than the other one, but um, like today, after after Trump quote disbanded uh, his his advisory committees of CEOs, a number of CEOs came out and said, "Yeah, well, we we were gonna, you know, we were gonna pull out and resign." And and here's our statement. Right. Yeah. And you know, it, it's it's fascinating because you know the first the 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 CEO of Merck, the the first guy to do that, first person to do that. Um, you know, he caught he caught a little bit of slack for doing that, and he's an African American male, right? Um, and he kind of you know rose up through through the uh, through the ranks as it were, and it, it's it's fascinating to see how the difference in like like I, I don't want, I don't want to go into personal stuff, but like my parents, like they have a completely different worldview than I do about this, and it's like well you know yeah the, that doesn't really affect us. That's <laughs> that's the president, you know whatever. And I'm like no like do you He's setting the tone of this conversation of, of this debate, and I love you, Mom. But you know, like there's, there is weight to your response or your non-response. So for companies like like GoDaddy and, and Google Domains and, and Cloudflare that you know were, were actively uh, now Cloudflare, um, it, I mean it took a while uh, to to actively you know shut down Stormtrooper. Uh, the Daily Stormer. Damn, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm stuck on Star Wars. <laughs> my my ten year old and I were geeking out earlier. Yes, the Daily Stormer. Um, you know, after they they read a terrible article about uh, the you know the lady that that was right. killed, and I read it 
And I thought, like, oh my god, <laughs> you know? And I don't, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I get that that it's a, th- a thin line to tread to say, well, that's free speech, and people should be able to say that. But at the same time, GoDaddy is a private company. Right. Go, GoDaddy is, is not bound by the First Amendment and who they do or don't allow to have a domain. Yeah, exactly. Like the First Amendment is not there to protect you from getting shut down because you're, you know, an asshole. The First Amendment is there to protect you from the government saying you can't say something. Right. You know, and and it's it's that's I don't know that that whole weighty thing because I keep hearing that from my conservative friends like oh the internet's cracking down on all of us because you don't like Trump and um, you know we're, we're not going to be able to have free speech anymore because Google controls everything or or Facebook is deleting all the the um, you know the, the, these posts about these white supremacist things and to me that's that's the the frustrating but fascinating part. Is that we, we give these, again, like false equivocations. Um, I mean, it's, I, can, I can't tell you about my Facebook post today, but <laughs> I, I saw so many uh, posts when, when I checked Facebook for five minutes that were like, well, Black Lives Matter back in Ferguson had all these posts about this and that. And now, uh, you know, Facebook is kicking off people who are posting similar things from the white perspective and, you know, Facebook just wants to silence, you know, the, this side of things, but they want to give credence to the Black Lives Matter movement. And I don't know. For, from somebody who works in marketing, it's just fascinating. Let alone, where, where the hell were the police? Where, where was law enforcement in Charlottesville? I think that, I think that is still a, um, an like, outstanding what, question. What, what happened there? We, we knew it was happening. It was happening at 10 o'clock in the morning. If that had happened in Baltimore or Ferguson, I mean, there were tanks in Baltimore. Right. Um, so here's what I think. Uh, there could be a whole bunch of things that went into it, and there probably were. At least one of the things that I know is a factor from quotes that I've seen is how heavily armed uh, some of the people that were coming to the rally were. In particular, uh, you know, the white nationalists, the KKK, the neo-Nazis. I mean, they had their own essentially militia there. They were armed with body armor. They were carrying AK-47s. It was difficult for people to tell the difference between them and the National Guard, right, for instance. Um, And the cops, from quotes that I heard, they knew they didn't have the manpower if something were to kind of really go down and, you know, shooting were to start. Uh, that they didn't have the manpower to go up against that. Which, to me, is obviously a problem. Yes, Virginia allows open carry, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And we've been having this conversation privately with some other people. Um, But there's a difference between, oh, we're going to peaceably assemble, which is what the Constitution gives you the right to do, and we're going to assemble and bring our own little militia um, to intimidate people, even well, in a state that has open carry laws. Those, to me, those are different things. I do not think the latter uh, is or should be protected by uh, the free speech amendment. Yeah, that, that's, that was not a well-regulated militia. It, it was, one, not well-regulated, uh, and two, that was not um, a peaceable assembly. I, mean, no. I think that's... I think both of those are pretty obvious. I would say that, at least according to you know my very much non-legal-minded interpretation of it, that that would not have been a you know legal uh, gathering like Trump said. You know, oh, they had a permit, 
And these other people didn't have permits. Like, how dare them not go, you know, get a paperwork, get a piece of paper and get a permit. But so, so I think that that's at least one uh, aspect of it with the cops. Probably more will come will come out. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's we could talk for hours about what happened in Charlottesville and the reaction afterward. Um, I think it has shaken a lot of people, as I said earlier. Um, it's a, it's a doggone shame. It's an awful mess, and it's yep. it's uh, it's disgusting, and it's it's truly not the world that I want my kids to grow up in. To to see the president of the United States uh, talk and, and act like he or she has done over the last you know four days, um, you know politics aside, like whether you're right, left, whatever. I, yeah, we demand better, you know, and even at, at the lowest of lows that I, I thought about George W. Bush or I thought about Bill Clinton, you know, um, I, I never for once, for once, like I, I never, ever, ever thought this person does not deserve to be president or this person should not be president. I don't even deserve like this person needs to be taken out of office. 25th Amendment. And I never thought that about George W. Bush as much as I detested him at certain points, as much as I detested Bill Clinton at certain points. Right. I never felt that, you know, that that visceral reaction. And I mean, my God, like I'm embarrassed to to talk to my 10 year old about this stuff. And, And I look at my my, you know, 20 month old son and I'm like, oh, my God, like, what are we doing for your future? And and we can blame the internet and Facebook and fake news and, and Russian hackers and all that. No, it's us. It's us. It's us. We did this. Here we are. Like, get your poop together. Put it in a poop backpack. Put it in the poop museum. <laughs> and, and, and leave it there. Like, we need to get away from that. We fought a, we fought a world war over this. And we fought a civil war over this. And we, you know, yeah, South Carolina here. I, I, I live in in a place named after a Civil War general um, in a neighborhood. I, 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 I go shopping at Target in, in a, another Civil War general named place. I mean, history is, is all about the dirt that we walk on, especially here in South Carolina. There, there's always a famous saying that, you know, every square foot of dirt has has a century of history to tell you. And I get that. And I'm all about history. Trust me, I love it. Come to my house and read all the books that I have downstairs. I have a lot of history friends. But <laughs> some of your best friends are historians. <laughs> some of my best friends are historians. <laughs> I'm gonna post a picture of me with a bunch of books of history. <laughs> but get your shit together and 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 put it in a box and, and put it away. And let's move forward. And let's figure out what we need to do and and stop trying to glorify Wade Hampton, or stop trying to. Who I I have a framed picture of Wade Hampton in in my garage that I had when I was younger, because it was Columbia, and, and you know he, he was a Civil War general, and there's a big big ass statue to him at our state house grounds. I'm not proud of that, but that's there, and I get that. I really, really do, and I love the Palmetto flag. I, I've got a huge flag to that, and. You can't equivocate the two, but sorry, I just 
I hate that we we get so caught up in the 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 fetish of history that that we can't look ahead. And in the Jerry Falwells and and the 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 Jeffries and those assholes of the world just like repent. Like <laughs> you, you chose the wrong side, and it's terrible. Yeah. Um, one of our, I think this might be our last note on this, and then we'll try to move into our regularly scheduled programming if we can. Um, one of our, uh, a professor that teaches at the place where we went to, uh, divinity school is an ethicist <laughs> and well, well done. it's kind of a roundabout way to say, well, I didn't like having any classes with him. No, I know. I know. Um, uh, is an ethicist, and he posted on his Facebook page, and I'm not telling you who he is because, um, you know, that's. I'm just going to assume that that's private because he didn't say, "Hey, this is a public post. I want you to share with everybody." Um, but he posted um, something right after uh, Charlottesville that I really appreciated um, because it was. Um, he said, "Yes, we seek reconciliation, but by that we do not mean that both sides." meet in the middle or that you agree to disagree for reconciliation to happen here. Repentance must happen. Uh, and namely repentance must happen on the part of white nationalists and white supremacists. Um, and I appreciated that because I think a lot of people, it's kind of amazing, but we kind of get caught up in this like, yeah, okay, we want, we want reconciliation. We're going to come together and we're going to work for peace. And so we're just like meet in the middle. Well, there are some things you do not meet in the middle on. There are a lot of things you meet in the middle on. A lot of things. White supremacy is not one of those things. And on that note, yeah, we're going to get back to the thinking religion Bible bracket challenge. Well, it, it kind of plays, you know, it plays. It does, in. it does, in a number, in, in a couple ways, particularly in some of the matchups that we're going to talk about tonight. I, I think there are some things that are quite relevant. Um, to maybe this, maybe this informs us in a different way than than where we were. And maybe it does. So I have my notes, but we'll see what happens um, uh, as we go through it. If I if I stick to the way I've called these matchups already. So uh, for those of you that don't know, we've been uh, doing uh, for a, for a little while now the Thinking Religion Bible Bracket Challenge. We have, I don't know, how many seeds is it? 94 uh, different books, I think, yep. um, that are Bible or Bible-adjacent texts. And we're going through essentially a March Madness uh, bracket challenge with them. Uh, we have been joined in the past by um, a friend of the show and fantastic uh, color commentator, uh, David Ray Allen. He's not been with us the past few weeks for a couple of scheduling issues. We're going to try to get him back in once we get into round three and the later rounds, hopefully. Um, and it is largely... Computer. Sorry. <laughs> it is talk, trying to get my life. You're talking to show. your computer, <laughs> but you weren't muted. I, I computer, got a notification. Turn that off. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, it's completely arbitrary, um, but we do have reasons uh, for this. Um, we do both have a background in this. No, we both have degrees in religion. So anyway, this is a lot of fun. So we're jumping in. We're going to finish round two uh, this evening. Then all the matchups will be set for round three. Uh, and then it will go quite a bit quicker uh, for that. So 
So, Sam, the first matchup that we have tonight is the book of Proverbs versus the Gospel of Thomas. My my charcoal bristle toothbrush has arrived. My my Alexa. I, I used the the word computer as my trigger word. <laughs> right. And uh, anyway, it, it wanted me to know that, so sorry. Nice. I was trying to tell it to be quiet. Because you can turn that on now to tell you. So right. I'm, I'm, I'll be sitting here typing, and all of a sudden I hear the doorbell, and I'm like, oh, there's the Amazon guy or, or gal. And then computer will tell. <laughs> my thing will, will be like, oh, you got it, you got it, stop. All right, sorry. Um, so, okay. Proverbs, Gospel of Thomas. Proverbs, Gospel of Thomas. Uh, Gospel Proverbs, of Thomas beat Wisdom of Sirach in the first round. Right. Proverbs got exactly. a, a buy. First round buy, right? Which because, is because of its importance. Yeah. You know, it's it's in the it's in the Gideon Bible. So I'm gonna let you go with this one first, um, and tell us uh, how you're scoring this matchup: Proverbs versus Gospel of Thomas. I'm an Old Testament person, or the Hebrew Bible, or the Tanakh. And I am going to score this 3-2 Gospel of Thomas. <laughs> wow, just like that. He threw the curveball at us. So I have a whole list of reasons down. I didn't, um, I, I'm it, going to tell you my reasons. Can I tell you my reasons? Okay, all right, Jeez, all right, good. Geez, there we go. Step off. Move, bitch, get out. No, I'm sorry. That's that's white nationalist thing, right? Um, so <laughs> that's terrible. Proverbs. I've been I've been looking at 4chan to try to get an idea of how people can justify this thing. And have you seen that? That like people are using yeah. that song? Yeah. yeah. Proverbs. Um, I'm not saying it's my one one of my least favorite Old Testament books. <laughs> that's a good that's a good start. <laughs> but it, it's it's one of those books where people go to it and they don't want to get the the context of what's going on. Um. Just in the interest of time, I'm going to say that, to me, Gospel of Thomas has such a a richer interaction in, in my own historical critical theology, like whatever that is, uh, that, that blob that I am. Gospel of Thomas, to me, impacts me much more than, than Proverbs does. Hist- historically, critically, uh, culturally, Proverbs has a major impact. Um, it's one of those books we like to, to pick and pull from, but if it was plucked from, from the Old Testament or, or from the Christian Bible, I wouldn't miss it as much as if the Gospel of Thomas was, was plucked from my life, if that makes sense. And Gospel of Thomas yeah. has my, my favorite thing in the world, Gospel of Thomas 42, Be Passerby. Um, it, 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 it's not really a gospel. There's no, whatever that means. There's um, no narrative, right? There's no narrative. It's sayings, right? But but it, it presents a Jesus, like however you want to date Thomas, uh, it, it presents a, a, a type of Christianity that was very prevalent, especially in Egypt, evidently, but probably throughout the Mediterranean, um, that, that we don't have access to within the New Testament. And that portrayal of Jesus that we get as kind of a, a Gnostic, you know, quote Gnostic, uh, uh, and I, I'm not trying to for all of our listeners who are Gnostic fans, I'm not trying to... to <laughs> we do have a lot of those, actually. ...boil Gnosticism down into one thing. And I know Gnostic, you know, Gospel of Thomas really isn't, you know, quote per se, like purely Gnostic. I, I know. I know. But uh, I, I remember reading the Gospel of Thomas for the first time as a sophomore in college and thinking, holy crap, like, what is this? Like, this is weird. This is new. And 
I love Proverbs in, in one sense in terms of it's it's fun to kind of dip into dip out dip out of, uh, but as a as a collection of a book, Gospel of Thomas to me is much more impactful. So so I I like a lot of what you're saying. I and uh, you know um, is similar to a lot of my analysis here. Uh, so the Gospel of Thomas is like new and different, but it's also oddly familiar. Right, because a lot of it is verbatim what you do have in some of the canonical gospels, but you have a lot that's also not. So there are some things I like about the wisdom of Solomon, or, or not, sorry, about Proverbs. I'm thinking about the figure of wisdom in uh, Proverbs, and and one of those things is that yeah. the figure of wisdom is feminine in Proverbs, right? And right. you know, for a whole number of reasons, but that that's a positive thing for me. That's but, beautiful, yeah. But kind of like what you're saying, I think this is kind of what you're saying with Proverbs. The way I thinking about it is it's like a Rorschach test except right at least I don't believe that Rorschach tests like you see what you want to see right and that's what I think happens with Proverbs you get out of this is the yes this is true with every text that we read in the Bible etc etc but I I think even more so in Proverbs it's easy to go there to find the thing that we want that justifies our you know our pride or our position or our you know hatred for somebody else, whatever. So it's kind of like a Rorschach test. It's just kind of, eh, and we can get out of it whatever we want to get out of it. So, yeah, so I guess it's that. With the Gospel of Thomas, again, I'm, I'm biased here. I've already talked about, uh, you've already talked about Logan 42, Be Passersby. I think I've already talked about in the previous matchup, uh, Logan 77. Uh, I'm the light that's over all things. I am all from me. All came forth and to me all attained split a piece of wood. I'm there. Lift up the stone and you will find me there. I mean, just some, a fantastic example of panentheism, which is not pantheism. Um, but also uh, there are a couple others that seemed as I was rereading it, um, thinking about uh, this discussion that seemed oddly relevant or you know rather relevant. At this day and age, Logion 25, love, love your friends like your own soul, protect them like the pupil of your eye. And then Logion 67, those who know all but are lacking in themselves are utterly lacking. So I scored it the same way you did 3-2 Gospel of Thomas. Yeah, that's a hard one. Wow. It was. It was closer. Yeah, it was close. Yeah, I assumed you were going Proverbs the whole way there. Um, yeah, almost did. Almost did. Wow. So that's, okay. that's surprising. So, yeah, I mean, Gospel Thomas makes it in the third round. We'll see about this next matchup. I, I would not be surprised if it makes it to round four as well. No, I don't know. <laughs> so they'll be playing the winner of the next matchup, which is Joshua versus First Kings. And this was honestly a fairly easy one for me. This is 5-0 First Kings over Joshua. I have no time for the conquest narratives and for, you know, divinely inspired genocide. <laughs> There's more going on in Joshua. <sighs> Thomas. I mean, there are some very nice people in Joshua, right? <laughs> uh, I, 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 okay, so... Now what can you do? You can't do anything after that. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to vote for genocide, are you, Sam? Come on. D-Ray, where are you? Um, <laughs> I, I, read a, I read a 20-something paper, 20-something page paper on uh, on the, the genocide narratives in Joshua when I was at the Divinity School that we went to. Um. Okay, I'm I'm gonna say First Kings is obviously gonna win. I love First Kings. I'm a fan of the, <laughs> I'm a fan of the Samuel Kings, uh, uh grouping of text there, probably too much, and that's gonna really, like, impact how I vote on everything. So yes, First Kings is definitely gonna win. 
However, if you haven't read Joshua, which most I, I would say most Christians haven't, like all the way through, it, it takes about it takes about twenty minutes. If you said, I mean, what it, it, it's not a long book. It's not very long, no. It it's not comforting. There, there's lots to wrestle with, um, but it it really bridges that gap between what happens in the Torah and the, De- the Deuteronomistic history. Like it, it kind of explains, as you said, the, the conquest narrative in, in a way that it's brutal and it, it's sensitive to our modern ears, especially <laughs> in this new age of nuclear proliferation. Um, so it, it's an important book. That's all I have to say. I, I don't agree with lots that's in there, as you said, you know, with, with kind of the colonialism, the conquestism, there, there's all sorts of craziness. But to see, especially if, if you're someone like me who likes Von Rad, I'm sorry, Nick Mankin, <laughs> uh, if you're someone like me wow, who likes Von Rad. Wow, you're pulling out the Von Rad, man. I like Von Rad. So <laughs> to, to see what the DH did with joshua like to, like to to kind of peel that back and try to go through those layers of okay how much was this redacted by you know later authors whether it was chronicles or or the dh to try to you know uh, i don't know smooth the smooth over those those mountains and valleys that we get in that transition from the torah and into the dh um i think it, i think it's a fun read troubling yes but um if you if you look at it as a as a transition book, it, it it really does have some some validity there, and it's an important part of the Old Testament story. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say four one because I mean First Kings is is one of the perfect books in the Bible. Um, it's much better than anything in the New Testament. Oh, wow, Second Romans, um, <laughs> and First Kings, Second Kings, as they should be together. It's it's just the best i mean it's it's it is the bible to me uh so i'm, I'm gonna go four one there just just to give joshua some some credence and if joshua had gone up against any other foe as he did uh the people at jericho uh things might have turned out different so ouch that was terrible wow gospel of thomas first kings that's oh, sorry, that's gonna be bloody <clears throat> what <laughs> part of the walls were knocked down i was watching ancient aliens about this the other night all right so got Gospel of Thomas, First Kings, next week. Ouch. Yeah. Or whenever. Yeah, next week. Oof, that's that's rough. All right, so next up we have <laughs> Philemon and James. <sighs> okay, so I, I also wrote a paper on James, and I argue that James was written, the core of James was written earlier than, uh, than we give, give it credit for. And... To me, um, James is a very complex book. When you when you get down into the, you know, yes, you can go the Martin Luther route with faith versus works and that kind of stuff. But to me, James is in that same group of books as like First and Second Peter. You know, where where it's a community that's struggling, a community trying to figure out its place, and there are some real echoes of things like the, the Didache and and yeah. Um, you know some some earlier texts. I mean, there's there's 
perhaps some Ignatius stuff. You know, like there's there's things in there that I, I think we um, we we smooth over. And I've always been a big fan of James, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with James on this one for uh, one. Okay, so uh, I'm a fan of James as well, um, particularly you know chapter two, Faith Without Works is Dead. I mean. You, <clears throat> Right, I like to just do my little part in pushing against the, I don't know, the Johannineification of contemporary Protestant Christianity's understanding of salvation. Is that a good way to put it? Uh, the idea, right, people know John 3, yeah, 16, right. and they're like, oh, you have to do is believe. And they just, they just don't know anything else that is written in the Bible, right? So I point them to, like, the end of the Beatitudes in Matthew that says, you know, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, we're under the kingdom of, you know, kingdom of God, but him who does the will of my Father. Right, that's a that's an act. That's works you have to do. Point him to James. It says faith without works is dead. Point him to Revelation, where it talks about the book of life and and the that your works are being recorded, and that's how you'll be judged, etc. But anyway, uh, so I, I'm a big fan of this, right? Because I I think that uh, whatever faith you have should spur you to do action and to try to make this world a better place. And for me personally, if my faith doesn't do that, it's not worth it for me. I'm not going to make that. You know, judgment call for you, but that's where I am. Um, and I also have no love lost for Philemon. And there are a lot of different ways to interpret this, and I understand it, but at least the way I read it, Paul has an opportunity to unequivocally condemn slavery, and he doesn't do it. Yes, he lived in a different day and age, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't matter. There are some things that are not, there are not many sides for, right? Uh, and particularly uh, in the wake of Charlottesville and um, the kind of resurgence of white nationalism and white supremacy. Oh, I, <laughs> I'm glad you're speaking out to this. I was going to do it, but now <laughs> I was like, oh, all the time was good there. So yes, thank you. Yeah, so 4-1 James over Philemon. Damn, 4-1, all right. Let's wow. see. James with the route of Philemon. Wow, I, I, you know, I mean, maybe James any other week. But maybe I don't I don't know this. This is how I scored finally even a week ago, like this matchup a week ago. So, yeah. yeah. James, James has got Deuteronomy next, though. That's that's yeah. interesting. Finally, was just lucky I didn't go five zero on it, I guess. <laughs> OK. Um, all right. Some the next really one I like Philemon. All right. Uh, so the next one is really tough for me, honestly. So it's Jude versus the secret gospel of Mark. Yeah. And I'll be honest. I'm not a big fan of Jude. Really? Which I know is like in a lot of circles, you know, heresy, but I'm used to being in a lot of circles that are understood to be heresy. Um, here's something I really like about Jude, that it quotes from uh, the Book of Enoch. And I'm a yeah, big right. fan of the Book of Enoch. And there's so much good stuff going on there, which, by the way, First Enoch didn't make it into this Bible Bracket Challenge. <gasps> which is really curious. Because it is one of the best books, and we get the story of the Watchers and... You know, them teaching, you know, women about jewelry and makeup and oh, so much good stuff there. Next year, All right. Next year. Um, so it quotes from Enoch, and that to me gives it a lot of credence. And then on the other side, on the other hand, we just see the Gospel of Mark, which I've talked about a lot, which beat Amos out in round one, which was, you know, yes, it was an 87 seed, but but Amos was, they, they were very poorly seeded, I think, this year. Amos is a pretty strong book. The Secret Gospel of Mark beat him out in the first round. Um but what it came down to for me on this, and I'm a big fan of a lot of the illusions that we get that may be in the secret gospel of Mark. Um, what it came down to for me is that 
we don't have a copy of a text that is actually the secret gospel of Mark. We have a copy of a letter that was forged, right? That was written in Clement's name that Clement did not write, uh, that talks about these groups that have this secret gospel of Mark. So it's basically canonical Mark with some stuff mixed in. But then he also talks about Carpocration Mark. So now if Carpocration Mark had been on here, that would have been my hands-down winner, obviously, since I wrote my dissertation on the Carpocrations. Um, but Secret Gospel Mark is, I would understand, to be different than Carpocration Mark. Uh, yeah. The references well, in the letter. It's, you know, it's based on the Marsabah letter. So that. this was tough for me, um, but I go 3-2 Jude over Secret Gospel Mark. Wow. I really? know. And, I, and I'm not really sure. I, I'm, I may regret this, but... I want to give Jude a chance, and I really appreciate quoting from Enoch. Um, and Secret Gospel Mark got through the first round, but you know, you gotta you gotta show up with the goods, and Secret Gospel Mark doesn't have the goods because it doesn't exist. The young right. man in the linen cloth. I know, but it's in the letter to Theodore, right? It's not the sexual text. So anyway, Ooh. I don't know. Don't make me regret this. They came to Jericho, as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting on the roadside. Bartimaeus oh. means son of Timaeus, because uh, Bar is son in Aramaic. Yeah, I, 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 I love that. Yeah. Barabbas. Um, well, damn it, Thomas. Now you have me doubting. <laughs> All right, so I was going to say 3-2 Secret Gospel of Mark because... Oh, know, nice. We got it's a better read. It, okay, yes. And the the letter is a... The, but that's the thing is maybe we should have put the letter to Theodore in here. Yeah, we should have. That's that's my hang-up this... At least this week. Anyway, this that's my hang-up. dog's name is Theodore. That might be true, too. All right, I'm going to go with Jude then. I'm, I'm going to change my earlier oh. reading today. And we're going to get so much slack from this because... There are some people who really love the Secret Gospel of Mark that listen to this show. I have so and much of my dissertation on the Secret Gospel of Mark, too. I know. I thought you were going to be like 4-1. But that's the thing is I have so much. And it's like, uh, but I I know that Clement didn't write the letter, even though it says, you know, even though it says it was written by Clement. And I don't know. All right. So, OK, just quick side diversion. Um, do you think Morton Smith forged it? No. But I kind of wish he did, but I don't think he did. You don't think he did? No, I don't. Do you think Clement wrote it? No, Clement didn't write it. 100% Clement didn't write it because, and 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 I lay all this out in my dissertation, if you, right, which is like whatever. I've never read it. You, you sent me one chapter. Interesting uh, PhD. Send, send me says. the whole thing. I'll send you the whole thing. Um, Please, but, I'll read it. No, the, it, it is both simultaneously not Clementine enough and too Clementine. Right, so so it's the same way you think about like the the um, the uh, kind of non-authentic Pauline letters, uh, right? There there are ways in which it's obvious they're trying to sound like Paul, right? And this letter uses terminology that are very rare words in the rest of Clement's writings, and uses multiples of those in this letter, right? Trying to sound like Clement, and um, but then talks then then understands certain thematic things, which are harder to see if you're just doing word searches, in a completely different way than Clement of Alexandria does. 
or particularly about lying, for instance, who's like, oh, yeah, well, you should, you're basically kind of instructing somebody to lie. And it's like, Clement of Alexandria would never have done that, and that's pretty clear if you read like his body of work, right? So, but but you don't you don't think it was a forgery by Morton Smith? No, I don't. I think, and, and I mean, there, and there are a lot of different ways to go on this. There are some people who think, well, the forgery, could, but it was definitely a forgery, but uh, it couldn't have happened until this particular book, a you know, particular kind of Clementine lexicon was um, was published, and all of this stuff that may or may not be true. Um, I understand it as a forgery. I understand it as an older forgery than Morton Smith. Uh, and I think it was, it was forged before Morton Smith was alive. Um, but Thomas, so, in, in every, every gospel is a forgery in your, in your definition. Okay. Uh, maybe not forgery. Pseudonymous. There we go. It's a pseudonymous. 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 Yeah. It's a pseudonymous, <laughs> right? It's written under a fake name. It's a pseudonymous letter. We'll put it that way. Then it's fake, and it, it doesn't hold water. Sorry. I, I'm, I'm channeling people that DM us about right. our show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we love you. Um, okay. All right. Well, wow. Damn. Hey, Jude. Hey, Take Jude. There song. you go. Make it better. Don't worry, though. Next week, Samuel's going to put the smack down on you. Oh, it is going up against first Samuel. Okay. Can we give Jude? It's like no five chance. minutes of shame. Yeah. Okay. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. yeah. Samuel's moving on. All right. Um, Daniel advanced. No, no, no. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So you're reading those matchups. Okay. Yeah. So Daniel beat third John because, you know. And then first Maccabees beat the letter of Jeremiah. Because, you know, hashtag well, Hanukkah. The letter of Jeremiah is interesting. But yeah, first Maccabees is a great book. All right. So do you want to finish out these last two? Yeah. Second well, Kings, Didache. Psalms and Mark. I think we got Ooh. we got four matchups left. Let's try to four. finish them four. out in this round. Okay, uh, so we'll try to go as quick as possible. Um, I didn't you, prepare so, the last ones. Okay, I, so, I can do this. All right, you're gonna start uh, the Didache versus Second Kings. <laughs> I read a long paper on the Didache. <laughs> Noticing a theme I really here. Did. I really did. I, I love the Didache. It, it's a great book. Um, it's it's fascinating. And, and it's 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 wonderful. If you've never, and oh, hold on, let me let me pull up some some things. I'm so sorry, I did not know we'd get this far. So if um, well, I'll just give a little ahead. intro. While you're pulling that up. The Didache is um, also known as the teaching of the twelve apostles. Yeah. Okay, right. so you get a sense of like what's actually in there, and it's just the word you know Didache is from uh, didaskalo in Greek, which is like to teach. Yeah, and it, it was lost for a long time. We we knew that it it existed. We didn't find it until, what, 1890? It was pretty late. Yeah, it was in the 1800s, I think. 1873. Here we that, go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, by uh, someone in, in uh, what was this? Over in Greece. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, it, it gives kind of this fascinating look into second century early Christianity, early Jesus followers. Some people will say, including me in my long paper that I wrote 10 years ago, that a lot of this comes from the first century. And I like to, to think in my own head that the Didache really does have a basis in a lot of what's happening uh, among those, those early Christians who are living in the post-fall of Jerusalem who are trying to figure out, okay, well, you know, we, we thought Jesus was coming back on Tuesday, maybe it's next Thursday, and he didn't come back on next Thursday, so maybe it's next year, and they didn't come back next year, so one day he'll come back, so we, we got to get our shit together and, and put 
kind of a, a practice in place to to figure all this out. Sorry. Right. The, um. So so it kind of mirrors something like the like the like the pastorals, like the pastorals or the Dead Sea Scrolls, mm-hmm. or or what we get in the Midrash. You know, like you get this kind of like cool interaction of of teachings with text, and it references early um, things like the Acts of Paul and and Shepherd of Hermes and and the Apocalypse of Peter. You know, so you, you get kind of a a, a random um, association of, of text. And it's it's one of my favorite favorite things to kind of go back to because it talks about things like baptism and fasting and the Eucharist and the daily prayers and and how to do those things and then how to organize your church. Right, right? it's so, it's like a really early church manual. Yeah, exactly, and and it it goes along uh, in a great deal with Matthew, which right. you know there, there's some back and forth there about that, but I've always I've always liked that that combination. So in my long paper about the Didache, I always said that. Um, it was the, the core of it came from earlier than what we like to to think, in a way. Because I'm I'm an I'm an early dater. Um, <laughs> that sounds terrible. Um, that's not like Donald Trump with talking about my daughter. Uh, just kidding. So, on the other hand, Second Kings is beyond besides Second Samuel, my favorite book in the Bible. And there is nothing better than Second Kings in the, in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, whatever. Um, if you want to pick up a book and just read a book, pick up Second Kings. It's fantastic. You get the Assyrians, you get the, the fall of Jerusalem, you get this really interesting story that's the pinnacle of the Old Testament, the pinnacle of the Bible, I would say, and that's the story of Josiah. And I'm very passionate about this. And it's Josiah screwy, Thomas. <laughs> If you screw me over on this, I will never forgive you. If you if you go five zero on the Didache, um, yeah. So Second Kings, Josiah is the pinnacle of the Bible. I'm I'm going to say that you know besides that Jesus guy, um, the the story of Second Kings going from where the Hebrews were at at the beginning of the Torah or at middle of the Torah into where we we get into Second Kings and and the split between Solomon and then he you know he passes away and we get Rehoboam and we get uh, Jeroboam and we get this like really interesting kind of back and forth and we get the establishment of things like the Zadokites and and the Israelites and and that kind of north-south dichotomy that plays itself out so well in, in a lot of ways in the New Testament where we have Jesus as a Galilean kind of coming down to Jerusalem or going up to Jerusalem and doing his thing you just tweeted, asshole. Um, I, I I love Second Kings. It is besides Second Samuel, it, it's definitely my favorite book in the Bible. So just to avoid anything, I'm I'm gonna say four one Second Kings over the Didache. If the Didache was going up against anybody else, the Didache would have a chance, but but not Second Kings. Now this is now do I stick with the scoring that I had previously? In my notes, or do I change it? So what I had was four one the Didache. Oh no! How could you do that? And here's the Josiah. Sh- there's so Josiah, much good stuff in the Didache, right? But- Hezekiah, in, in, like like a bird in a cage. Oh my god! <laughs> like a bird in. A- so that's what he's. That's what uh, King uh, Sennacherib says. Here's one. Of, here's here's the thing. I, I read I, a book about Assyrians. Sorry. 
I like the most about the Didache is the preferred means of baptism is in cold running water. Right. So it's like it needs to be cold uh, or it needs to be running. But if it can't be running, it's at least got to be cold. Like, come on, guys. You got to hang your hat on more than that. You got to show that you mean it. Right. That's what the Didache is saying. Um, So I don't know. So we're stuck here. Uh, We're both at 4-1. I'm going to stay at 4-1. So I'm going to can I can I move my vote? (laughs) Well, we we did say we're going to have these tie breaks that we could use i used one early in the first round you have a chance to use a tie break here well i'm gonna if I'm gonna so choose break. i'm gonna use my point and i'm gonna go with uh second kings wow for so first round buy for the didache and it doesn't make it out of the second round um okay you know i mean it's uh it's tough it's tough but um all right, Second Kings moves on. Um, Second Kings. All right, we've got a couple more <laughs> matchups, and they're all tough. Second Kings gonna, beat Isaiah. But we're going to try on, to push Isaiah. Um, okay, so this is an easy one, right? Psalms versus Mark. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. Psalms Ooh. is great. One of the it's good things about Psalms is that you do have a kind of a full range of human emotions. Uh, one of the things that kind of knocks Psalms down for me is that you have David regularly praying for God to destroy his enemies. And it might be something that kind of doesn't sit easy with us. Um, Now, Mark, let me count the ways how I love Mark. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) so so what I'm trying to do with Mark is basically space out the the things I want to talk about because I'm just confident Mark is going to continue on and keep keep moving. Um, So we're going to have multiple rounds to talk about Mark. So what I decided that I I wanted to talk about two things in Mark uh, this time, and maybe I should save one of them. We'll see. But the the first thing I want to talk about is the Messianic Secret, which is just brilliant literarily, right? We talked about the, uh, we talked in the first round when Mark went up against Song of Solomon about um, just how good a piece of literature the Gospel of Mark is, right? And, and so you get this whole, Jesus keeps telling people not to say who he is. Right, so he heals somebody, and he's like, "Yeah, but don't tell anybody," which is just really great. And there's all these questions about, well, why would he do that, right? And then you, there are a lot of different options, like, um, you know, well, maybe he just didn't want people to know, right? It wasn't he wasn't like ready for his like kind of big coming out yet, uh, or you get this idea of the author or the authors of the Gospel of Mark are trying to understand, okay, if Jesus was who we think he was, why did nobody know it when Jesus was here? oh, here we go, he must have told people not to tell anybody because he was, you know, keeping everything on the DL. Right, so anyway, just this kind of great literary device that causes you to ask a lot of questions. Um, I'll leave it there. We'll see if I need to talk about the next thing that I wanted to talk about. Uh, but uh, for me, I I did want to give Psalm some credence because it does... Um, I mean, play a huge role. Obviously, you got some really famous things in there, like Psalm 51, where David is praying for repentance after committing adultery with Bathsheba, and also, by the way, having her husband killed. Um, so that's a good psalm. Um, so I went 3-2 Mark over Psalms. Vengeance is mine, says the, the Lord. Okay, well... Psalm 23. Yeah... Jewish word, Psalm 145. Psalm, uh, Psalm 7. So Psalms is deep, right? 
Psalms is definitely Psalms? deep. There's no question about Psalms having a deep bench. Psalms means praises, by the way. Like, I don't think most English-speaking people get that. Like, it, it's... Right. Like, we say Psalms, but that's a, a Greek version of a Hebrew word that means, you know, praises. Um... Uh, all right, Mark. I'll, I'll go three two. Uh, that's, is, that's a hard one. I, I love Psalms. It is a really hard one. I, I I will give you that. It is a really tough uh, choice because you do have so many good kind of memorable Psalms that people know. I mean, a, a lot of people you know memorize Psalm twenty three. But you didn't back down on on uh, the Dedicate, so maybe I should just be a jerk and yeah. <laughs> Um, man, I mean, Psalm 29, you know, like it, it's, 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 uh, you know, somewhere in the, in the fifth, sixth century BC, you know, you get this, this hymn to Baal, basically. Um, wow. It's hard, you know, cause you, yeah, uh, the artist in me wants to say, no, screw you, Psalm 5 <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm not going to do that. Because Mark... Mark is my favorite gospel. I like Luke, um, Lauren. But... We got grilled, yeah. as we should have. Um, Alright, 3-2. 3-2. Damn it. Mark wins. But this sets up Mark versus Second Kings in round 3. Oh, I'm bringing it next week. Don't so you worry. better bring it. You better bring it hard <laughs> and heavy next week if you think Second Kings is going to beat Mark. We're we're gonna have a uh, we're gonna have like a dissertation off here. I know. Um, <laughs> okay, we got and two more we, matchups. We're we're uh, trying we're trying to push through them, and they're all right. All right let, let's do let's do this first one. Jeremiah and Jonah. Okay. So am I starting with this? Okay. Here's the thing. There's a lot of good stuff in Jeremiah, right? We get the word Jeremiah. Oh, you're going to go with Jonah. <laughs> Plus. Ah. Hey, but they're both Old Testament books, right? Both Hebrew Bible books. We, no, we get these the... great speech acts in there. We get Jeremiah 29, 11. Everybody knows that and loves that. You know, I know the plans I have for you. Plans are, you know, for just, give you just the prosper, give you hope in the future. Yeah. Da, da. Just a product. Uh, uh, okay. Here's the thing about Jonah that really puts it over the top for me. One, Jonah is no. a really good story. Okay, let's give it that. But here's what I really like. It's Jason and the Argonauts. No, 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 but it's better because you get you get a gender-bending Jason and the Argonauts. Okay? Oh, I know. Because, so you have Jonah, and he gets eaten by a fish. But when you read it in Hebrew, you can tell that this fish is a male fish. And by the way, it's a big fish. It's not a whale. He gets yeah. eaten by a male fish. But then it says okay. that he's in... He's still in the belly of the male fish for three days and nights. But then he begins to pray from the belly of a female fish. So this leads to just some amazing midrash, right? So was he spit out and then re-eaten? Uh, was the male fish eaten by a larger female fish? Right. So, some, so there's kind of different theories, right? I like the idea of he's eaten by a, a male fish and then a bigger female fish comes along and eats that fish. I think that's pretty cool. The rabbis uh, seem to kind of prefer the idea that he was a little too comfy in the stomach of the male fish, so he got spit out and eaten by a female fish who would be less comfortable, and that's when he finally started to pray to God to 
deliver him, as it were. Um, and then you, of course, do get in the New Testament, the sign of Jonah and all that type stuff. You get the parallelism there, which is, it's not parallelism. You get New Testament authors reaching back to the Jonah story, right, and drawing their connections between Jonah three days in the belly of the well, and then out and Jesus three days. And even though Jesus wasn't actually dead for three days, right? I mean, what is it, 36 hours tops, right, if you, like, count it up. Um, so you get all that. But anyway, <laughs> three, two for me, Jonah over Jeremiah. Wow, I did not see that coming. I, I, okay, to, to quote, um, what's his name? Uh, Rob Lowe in, in Parks and Rec. I literally did not see that coming. <laughs> <sighs> I'm not going to say I love Jeremiah because then people are going to say, oh, drink, because Sam said he loved the book in the Old Testament. Jeremiah's a fantastic book. It's great. Right, I mean, there's a theme here, right? Mm, mm, mm. And he's from the Northern Kingdom. And I'm I'm sympathetic to the Northern Kingdom, not not here in the United States. Um, God, I thought I thought you were going to go a different way. Okay, so Jeremiah does serve as a prophet under Josiah and Jehoaz and Joachim and Joachim. Um, and we know that Josiah is the pinnacle of the Bible. He's on the Sistine Chapel. I I'm going to say. This is hard. Okay, so you said 3-2, Jonah? Yep. God. All right. <laughs> Got to be quick. Um, I, I can't argue anything that you said about Jonah. Jonah's a fantastic book. I took a whole course at Yale um, by Professor Carolyn, Carolyn Sharp, who's amazing. And it was basically about those things, like kind of the... the, the uh, uh, Jonah as this uh, gender-bending, you know, bisexual, homosexual figure in the Old Testament, uh, based on Jason and the Argonauts, and in the uh, in, in the baptismal room at Dura Europis in modern-day Syria, okay. right outside the Euphrates, we have a um, what we think would would be a depiction of of Jonah. We don't actually have that anymore, but a lot of the scholarship in, in the 50s and 60s kind of points that way, that beside these two pictures of Jesus um, healing the paralytic at the pool and then uh, telling Peter, hey, hop out the boat, it's cool, and then Peter sinking and Jesus going, ha! Uh, beside that, we have this picture. <laughs> we have this picture of Jonah. Uh, and Jonah was, a you know, the dove. It was, it was a big symbol of, of early Christianity. Um, Here's what I think should put it over the top for you for Jonah. Hmm. He's actually a successful prophet, right? Nineveh actually listens and repents. <laughs> but he, but he how often does that the, happen? The... Yeah, he curses the tree and all that Assyrians, stuff. But know. but you know, it's like normally it's like oh, I'm gonna call down you know God's doom on you, and they're like yeah whatever. And he's but but he like, actually I'm gets, not gonna do it gets... because they're horrible people, and then it still works. He gets Hezekiah to, to convert to Judaism. <laughs> it all works yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. Kind of all right. Um, God bless. I thought Jeremiah was going to be an easy route. Man, Jeremiah's a good book, though. Jeremiah's a good book. He's in the Quran. I know. Why do you why do you do this to me, Thomas? Why can't you just be like four one? It wouldn't be fun if we were all just like, hey, yeah, okay. I want to go three two Jeremiah. 
but that's just going to clog the tubes. And you've you've got one. You've got one uh, preamp left in this round. But did they roll over? Because I might want to use it in the next round. I know. All right. I'm, I'm going to... Because it's in the Old Testament, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to say Jonah 3-2. Nice. 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 I've won a couple big battles tonight, actually. This, is, this is big. All right. The that, last one. And you've got to start big. this one. The last one. Last matchup in round two. This will finalize all the matchups for round three. This is a really, really tough matchup. The Book of Exodus... <laughs> Versus the book of Galatians. Dude, I, I, I kind of wonder, should I walk into the club like I own the place? Or should I walk into the club like I'm going to assume that people are going to recognize I own the place? Because if I walk into the club like I'm going to own the place, I'm going to say Exodus 5-0. Because <laughs> Exodus is an amazing book. And Galatians is, I mean, you know, it's good. But Paul kind of meanders. Like, like we, we like the first couple of chapters, and then chapter, th- what is it, chapter four? How, how many? There are four chapters, There's right? six yeah. chapters in Galatians. Six. I know. I wrote a whole bunch of crap on Galatians in my master's. Five, five, a whole bunch yeah, of stuff okay. on, on uh, Paul in general. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's been a while. Like I said, I, didn't, I did not prepare. I'm so Galatians sorry has not made a, lar- uh, a very big impact on you, has it? Okay, so you know what I learned this week? I was listening to a podcast. What's his name? Um, Not Michael Savage. What's the the guy's name who does the the history podcast? Dan Carlin. Do you know Dan Carlin's Hardcore History? I don't listen to it, but I know of it. You should. It's amazing. So uh, his new episode, which is like four hours long. Right. Uh I have 198 minutes left, and I've been listening to it. It's about how Julius Caesar like conquered the Celts, right? Yeah. So I didn't realize this, that Galatia, the Galatians, were originally Celts. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I didn't know, I know. that either. I was like, holy crap. So, yeah, I was going to make a tweet about that because everyone reads my tweets. But, I, um, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I, Galatians is my favorite book of Paul or by Paul. So that, that's what makes this difficult, because otherwise, if it was any other book, um, uh, you know, I, I'd say no, you know, five zero Exodus. So I'm going to get four one Exodus, and I'll talk more about Exodus because clearly we're going to have more time to <laughs> to talk about that next week. But will we though? Um, okay, here's what I think. Yes, Galatians is is the best thing Paul writes. Absolutely, he is so mad, right? I mean, it's just kind of amazing. Um, He's mad at those Celts. Yeah, definitely mad at the Celts. And there's all this <laughs> there's all this interesting stuff about the kind of the geographic area of Galatia and what's he actually referring to and all that, but we're not going to get into all that. Um, there are two things I really... There are a number of things I like about Galatians. Um, you know, 328 um, is really good. Um, you know, there's neither, you know, um, Jew nor Greek, uh, slave or free, male and female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. That's good. And then the male and female stuff is really interesting because, oh, okay, we're kind of pushing against gender binaries here, and uh, that's interesting. But there are two things. Um, he keeps Paul talks like he's against the law, but my theory is that he's not actually against the law. He just wants to replace it with a new law because if you read Galatians closely, he comes back in chapters 5 and 6, which is the boring stuff that nobody reads, and 
he starts talking about the law of Christ and the things you have to do. So he still thinks you have to follow a law. He's just wants he's just telling you it's a different law you have to follow. And that's I think really interesting. And for people that are actually interested in Pauline scholarship, maybe that changes some things. Okay, but the thing so that's worth a point for me if we're tallying points here. Here's the thing that might be worth two points, and it's in chapter five where he basically says, I wish the knife would slip and that you would cut yourself off, right? He says, I wish those who unsettle you would castrate themselves. Because this whole conversation is about circumcision and about um, you know whether you need to be circumcised to be a follower of Jesus because do you actually need to like become Jewish to then be a follower of Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I just think it's kind of amazing that he says, oh yeah, you, you like circumcision so much? Uh-huh, I hope the knife slips. Which is just kind of uh, fantastic. Um, but I'm just going to go 3-2 Exodus over Galatians because Exodus <laughs> is brilliant. I mean, you get Moses, you get the plagues, you get the Ten Commandments, and you get Charlton Heston. Duh. Shut up. We will talk a lot about We're Exodus gonna talk a lot about as Exodus. it goes up against yeah. Jonah and then probably Genesis because I don't know how Ephesians is going to make it past oh, Genesis. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of tough matchups in the second round. I don't think Genesis versus Ephesians is one of those. So. Man, Exodus is going to make it to the Final Four if it's not careful. Look at that. I don't know. Man. It's probably going to have to go up against Mark next, though, if it gets past Genesis. Wait, Exodus? No, Exodus, Jonah. Genesis, Ephesians. I know, but if... Oh, oh I see. Yeah, Mark, Second Kings. <laughs> yeah, Mark is definitely no, going to beat no, Second No, no, no. Second Kings is going to beat Mark. What are you talking about? <laughs> You. All right, if you want to look at the bracket, see where we are now, go to challenge. So basically say it like uh, an American trying to say challenge with a French accent. C-H-A-L-O-N-G-E, challenge.com slash thinking religion. The link will be in the show notes, of course. And you can see where the bracket stands. We're going to be looking at round three next week. So Look at these matchups. Ezekiel Matthew, amazing. Gospel of Mary, Ezra. That's Ezra's Roman Second Samuel, Susanna. I don't know how you got there. Esther. I mean, this is a big we showing by Susanna and we Esther. Susanna fans. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that's we're gonna piss off the feminists either way. Judges, First John, Revelation, First Corinthians. Oh man. Ooh. Job, Hebrews, Hosea, Malachi. Uh, the little book of the twelve battle internally. Yeah. John, Zechariah. Gospel of Thomas, First Kings. James, Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, Jude, Daniel, 1 Maccabees, 2 Kings, Mark, oof, Exodus, Jonah, and Genesis, Ephesians. I don't, I don't know. What, what book do you think is going to come out of this as the best book in the Bible? It's going to be the Gospel of Mark. No, you're <laughs> wrong. Because it's not going to get past 2 Kings next week. If you're an Old Testament scholar and you'd like to come on the show... <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. Let's get some new, let's get some New Testament early Christian scholars on the show <laughs> yeah, as well. Uh, you, you're being so normative. You're all New Testament scholars. <laughs> we need some some good Old Testament. Josiah is the pinnacle of the Bible. That's all I'm saying. Like a bird in a cage. We have three gospel, uh, four gospels that made it to round three, right? You have Matthew, Gospel of Mary, Gospel of Thomas, and Mark. No, and John. We have five Gospels. Three of the four canonical Gospels and two extra canonical Gospels. That's a pretty good showing. I feel pretty good about that. That's pretty good. All right. We're going to take this up next week. Um, thanks for listening. 
uh, please uh, continue the conversations. We have a lot of great conversations throughout the week with people in private messages and emails and things like that. Uh, we yeah, keep it up. We definitely we enjoy, enjoy that. So keep that up. Um, I don't know what else Stay to say. Sane. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about Charlottesville. Um, but reach yeah. out if you need somebody to talk to. You don't feel like you have anybody else to talk to. Reach out. Uh, as we've said before on this show, uh, we are about creating a community here, and and that's all about you. And we appreciate uh, your part in that community. Uh, like, like a bridge over troubled water. Just like a bridge over troubled water. Uh, you can find <laughs> us. Um, the best place to find us is on Twitter. Sam is at Sam Harrelson. I'm at Thomas Whitley. You, you can always find this great podcast at thinking.fm. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go with Esther there as well. Um, you have Esther at, would you say, 3-2? Three 3-2. Two? Three two. Wow, I did not see that coming. All right, so I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with 4-1. Because I like Esther. Colossians is a great book. Very interesting. I should probably give it a 3-2. But I'm not. Either way, this sets up an actually really good, unexpected matchup in round three with Susanna versus Esther. I did not see that coming. Me either. I mean, every every year during March Madness, you get these matchups you did not expect. And and this is one I don't think any of us expected kind of starting out. So that's going to be really interesting. Okay, so um, So, next. Sorry, go ahead. Let's just do a quick review now that we've done four matches in round three. We've got Ezekiel versus Matthew. We've got Gospel of Mary, which, you know, it's a surprise, versus Ezra. Which I'm, I, I still can't believe Ezra took out Philippians, but I'm glad it, it, that it did. And then Romans versus Second Samuel. And then now Susanna versus Esther. So some real underdog books. I mean, you know. Really? Yeah. You know. This is why you play the game, right? <laughs> and then next we have First Chronicles versus Judges. Ugh, this one's hard for me. Um, I, okay, let me just say I love First Chronicles. In a way that I I don't love First Chronicles. Well, let me let me back up. I don't love First Chronicles the way I love First Kings. Or I don't love Chronicles the way I love Kings. But I I really do love Chronicles. It's a fantastic collection. You should go read Chronicles. It's really interesting. And then go read Kings or read Kings and then go read Chronicles or or you know however you want to do it. But but read the Deuteronomistic history and go read Chronicles. Because it's it's a really kind of a funky interpretation in, in some parts, um, you know, especially like when you get in Second Samuel and David takes the uh, David takes the census and he's going to tax everybody because he's pissed off and God gets even more pissed off, and and that's represented in Chronicles. But instead of God causing the census, it's it's Hasatan or you know Satan that causes it in, in Chronicles. Um, anyway it's it's a it's a fun book um judges to me is one of those i don't know like mc escher books where it's it's you get into it and you're 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 kind of like falling down the staircase and then all of a sudden you're upside down falling down another staircase and you're like, wait, this is the same story. We just we just talked about Gilead. Oh, this is not yep. Gilead. This is another judge. And this is also troublesome. And oh wait, he's he's killing people with the jawbone of an axe. Like what what's going on here? Um. And I I want to talk about it more in the next round. So that's why I'm going to give it a pass. 
So I'm going to go with judges. I'm, I'm going to have to go. Um, I'm going to have to go three two because it, it's it's close for me. I, I like Chronicles a whole lot. It's not Kings, um, but but it's a, but it's a damn good little collection of stories. So judges three two. Yeah, Chronicles is not Kings because it's basically Redux, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I'm thinking, right? Good artists borrow, great artists steal. But Chronicles is only a good artist. Yeah, it's like it's like so, the Michael Bay version of Kings. Yeah. <laughs> but then with Judges, right? We talked about you know Deuteronomic history. We talked about the Song of Deborah a little bit last time. Yeah. But then and the thing right, I was right. the thing I was going to talk about uh, tonight, which you kind of um, hit on as well, is the cycle, right? The kind of cyclical nature of Judges, which I think is interesting. Um, and there's a lot of kind of different ways to interpret it. Um, but you have the cycle of bad behavior and then a judge is sent to deliver them and then more bad behavior and then they're delivered or redeemed. Um, and at least the way I'm feeling today, I'm thinking this is, you know, in a positive way to interpret this is kind of this like we can always be redeemed. And I like that message today. So for me, um, I actually had four one judges over Chronicles. Four one. All righty. So judges is going to make it. So judges beat Second Peter in the first round, which is you know it's a close call. Second Peter's a a, a close book to both of our hearts, and then First Chronicles. Way to go, judges! Strong showing there. And I, honestly, the judges are being carried uh, largely by Deborah at this point, and I'm not sure how much longer that will last. Mm-hmm. But um, a, a strong showing so showing so far by judges. Um, next, Psalm 151 verses First John. Uh, I'm going to guess that everybody probably already knows where we're going to end up with this, but um, <laughs> I, I want to let you talk about this one. <laughs> here's why for me, Psalm 151 at least gets a point. Okay. Uh, for a long time, everybody was like, oh, it never existed in Hebrew. It was originally in Greek and all this stuff. But then, okay, we go to Qumran and we find um, manuscripts of Psalm 151, which is really cool. We've got the Dead Sea Scrolls connection there. The other thing is you get this different telling in Psalm 151 of how David killed Goliath, right? So instead of the kind of slingshot thing, right, you've got that um, story here, you have him basically stealing his sword and slicing his throat, right? Isn't that what we get in Psalm 151? So it's interesting. It's kind of really interesting, something different, a different spin on it. That gives it a point, uh, at least. Um, now let's talk about why First John gets four points. <laughs> okay, we've obviously got um, the the God is love bit that I mentioned last time. Um, that's the inspiration for one of my tattoos. Uh, but we, but around that, surrounding the the God is love bit, we have the whole commentary on let us love one another. So it's not just that God is love, but it is that we too should be loving other people. Right. And that the person that does not love does not know God, which is pretty harsh language. But uh, I think it's language that I can get behind. So that's really strong. I will have to say this, though. There is this kind of really uh, strong anti-docetic kind of strand in First John. And I don't know that I'll uh, get to talk about it later. So I want to talk about it right now with the really interesting stuff that's happening in First John, because you have this. So I'm thinking about like the Johannine community, right? So you have the Gospel of John, and then you have the three epistles, uh, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And the way that I like to, that some have thought about this, and I'm thinking, uh, did we talk about, I think I mentioned this last time, Raymond Brown's book on uh, the community of the beloved disciple, which kind of lays this out well. But basically what 
what happens is you have the Gospel of John, and there's this, yes, of course, it has the highest Christology of uh, the four canonical Gospels, etc., um, but there's still this tension in the Gospel of John with what, with just how, I guess, physical Jesus actually is. There's no question that Jesus is God in the Gospel of John, right? Uh, this really high Christology. But if you think about the end of the Gospel of John, and we're going to talk about this uh, later, but not only does Jesus, uh, like, has he physically resurrected, but then he walks through locked doors and walls, right? And then, you know, maybe he's eating fish with them on the sh- on the shore after, um, you know, the resurrection. And so it's kind of like there's this tension about, well, is he physical? Is he not? Is he spiritual? And there's just, it's kind of up in the air. After the Gospel of John, at least according to Raymond Brown's uh, hypothesis, you have a split in this group in the Johannine community. And you have one group that goes um, toward kind of what we might call Gnosticism, right? Where um, And toward what looks more like docetism, um, where they, which comes from the Greek word dokeo, which means to seem or to appear. So basically their understanding would be that Jesus only seemed or appeared to be human, but he was actually uh, spiritual and was not uh, physical. And then you have the other strand that would say he was completely physical, and and that's where we get First John. And First John is in this, and you can see from the opening line, right? We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, right? So you get that, like, just so you know, he was actually physical. And then if we go uh, toward the end in chapter 4, by this you know this uh, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And and this is the spirit of the Antichrist, etc. So it's kind of really harsh words, but it's all bound up in this kind of Christological battle that we're seeing kind of really early on about just how physical Jesus was. Um, and so I might want to ding it a little bit because it's anti-docetic and the docetists the kind of have a, a special place in my heart, but it gives us a window into some really interesting early Christological controversies. Uh, so yeah, at the end of the day, first John over Psalm 151 for me, four one. Right. Four one. I am going to agree with you. I'm also going to say four one. Psalm 151 is great for what it is like you said but i i can't argue with any of that so done good i've made my case well it was a good case and i, I like first john it, it's one of those new testament epistles that you know you, you read it and it it's when you take it for what it is and you, and you don't try to circumscribe it and say well john of ephesus wrote this um you know and he was one of jesus's followers like when, when you take it away from that and you just read it for what it is i, I think it's uh a very interesting part of the New Testament that that a lot of people don't necessarily get into, but I'm sure we're going to get into it next week or in in the following weeks when it gets into round three here, especially against Judges. I mean, Judges versus First yeah. John is that that's a that's an interesting matchup there. Um, but next we have First Peter and Revelation. Ooh. Um, I guess it's my. You get the easy one next. I guess I'll go. With this yep. one. <laughs> All right. So I like both of these books. Um, actually, got to take a class at Yale with Adele Yarbrough Collins on Revelation, and it, it, it was a it was a game changer for me. 
because you know i've always thought like that's oh, that crazy book you know kind of that crazy uncle at the end of the new testament um but but professor collins was able well uh, yarbrough collins was able to really kind of put things in perspective in a way that i hadn't thought of in terms of of the historical critical um uh context of, of revelation in the same way um Thomas, you and I have, have had interactions with First Peter, going back to our time at Gardner Webb with, with Danny Goodman, and and, and yep. talking about this book with um, John Elliott on the on the phone. Um, th- it, this is such a tough one, and and I, I want to go off on on First Peter and talk about this for hours and hours and hours because we we get the Proikoi, which for me is it, such a important concept that modern christians don't understand so there's so much about kind of not conservative but just contemporary christianity where you hear like well we're we're just aliens here we're we're resident aliens maybe or you know we're this is not our home we're going to float up to heaven and and some of that language comes back from first peter but uh John Elliott, who's a, a scholar out in, I think, Oregon, makes makes the argument that that word for resident alien meant more like beside the house, like proakoi in, in the Greek was a, he wants to argue, a whole subset of, of sort of a, a, a political socioeconomic class of kind of uh, itinerant workers who, you know, would, would much in the same way as our, in our current context, we kind of roam around and, and go to where the work was. So just as today, you know, if someone's, you know, a, 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 a contractor, they might go to Home Depot and hire, you know, a group of, um, uh, of itinerant workers to go work on a construction project. Uh, his argument is that's, that's kind of what this was intended to be. And this is a, a community that's hurting and these Parochoi, these people that live beside the house, aren't meant to be like, you know, modern middle class white Americans who feel like, oh, well, our home's in heaven. We're going to float up there. We're, we're aliens here on Earth. So um, as an epistle, it's it's it really is. One, I mean, First Peter really is one of my favorite epistles, if not my favorite in the New Testament. And that's what makes this really hard. Um, I, I I like watching the debates back and forth about authorship because some people, you know, really want to hang their hats on saying like, no, no, this could like very well go back to, if not Peter, like a, a very close community that was around Peter, um, shortly after Jesus was executed, which to me is, is really fascinating. Um. But then, I don't know, Revelation is such a cultural juggernaut that it's hard for me to say that First Peter is a better book than Revelation. Even though I love First Peter, and I like reading it, I like studying it, I love what John Elliott's done on it. Um, even like 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 cracking open the New Interpreter's uh, Bible and just reading the, the First Peter section. Anytime First Peter comes up in the lectionary, I'm preaching. I'm going to preach on First Peter. Like I don't care what the what the other texts are. 
but for me, Revelation is going to have to squeak this one out 3-2, just because I'm sure we'll talk about it, but Revelation's going to revelate, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> Revelation's going to revelate. Truer words have never been spoken. Yeah. <clears throat> That's where I am. What do, you, what do you think? So, I agree with you on this, because this is a tough matchup. One of the things that really draws me to First Peter is the... I mean, you have kind of an account of some early Christians experiencing persecution. And yes, there's a lot of problems with early Christian tales of persecution. A lot of it's overblown. Um, and we have this kind of, Candida Moss wrote a really great book um, that's really accessible called The Myth of Persecution that if you're interested in this, you should check out. But basically how kind of a lot of early Christians kind of, for lack of a better term, created this this myth that they were this persecuted minority. But but you have kind of some really interesting ways of getting at that in First Peter, and, and so that's a thing that Sam didn't mention that draws me to that. But again, with Revelation, you just have so much uh, cultural cachet there; um, it just holds such a strong place in the popular imagination. Um, and honestly, it's just a super interesting book, right? You've got seals, and you've got trumpets, and you've got numbers, and lakes of fire, and dragons, and you know, find gems and then all these like kind of allusions to both the probably the disciples and the 12 tribes of Israel. So you have, you know, 24 instead of just 12 as being your number. Um, you've got these letters to, uh, you know, area churches. You've got the exile. Um, you've got so much interesting stuff going on in Revelation. Uh, to me, there was just no way First Peter could edge this one out. Uh, so for me, again, it, it, like Sam, it's 3-2 uh, Revelation. That That's one of the hardest matches for me so far, if not the hardest. Like, I, I, I really like, I mean, First Peter was the 13th seed, um, but it, it's one of my right. one of my favorites. So well, we'll see about Revelation's next matchup, if that's harder for you. <laughs> <laughs> At least if it goes the way I think it's gonna go, I don't think so. All right, so you, you get to get this, kick this one off. Okay, so the next matchup, and this is for who's gonna play Revelation uh, in round three, is Wisdom of Solomon versus First Corinthians. And honestly, I mean, I could talk for ten minutes about Wisdom of Solomon. It's, it's a really interesting book, but it just has no shot against First Corinthians, <laughs> right? <laughs> First off, you got a man having sex with a stepmom in First Corinthians. Hey. Okay. Hey, we we all wait. <laughs> right. Who among us has Who among exactly? us? Wait, right. wait, 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 <laughs> yeah. wait. I you've got you've got this really great yeast metaphor that that I'm hoping maybe to talk about more later. Uh, but what I really want to talk about tonight with First Corinthians. Uh, and, and if you haven't noticed, my theme tonight for some of these has been, I just want to use this as a soapbox to kind of expound upon some things that I like, uh, which is kind of what the whole show is. Right? Yeah, that's why, um, why we're doing this. So the way First Corinthians talks about the resurrection in chapter 15 is, to me, some of the most interesting um, texts that we have in the New Testament. First Corinthians is earlier than any of the gospel accounts. Okay, And, and, and if, you, if you'll bear me... Uh, if you'll allow me this, I'm going to read a long passage from 1 Corinthians 15. Okay. I, I, I will. But someone will ask. I'm sorry, go ahead. Thank you. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Full. 
What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and each kind of seed its own body. Not all flesh is alike, but there is one flesh for human beings, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are both heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one thing, and that of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. Indeed, star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Just fascinating language here that, to me, I don't see any way you can read this and and think that Paul believed in a physical resurrection. Yeah. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Paul, right. Paul believed in—I think you have to say a bodily resurrection, but it is not a physical body. It's a spiritual body, and, it's, and, and to me, the— the strongest words, some of the strongest words that I think Paul writes is in verse 50. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And I, I don't know how people Which, take the Bible literally, and then they read that, and they still think that you're going to zombie up out of the grave. Right. Like, how how do you wrap your head around that? Right. I mean, this is the earliest account of the resurrection that we have, right? Yes, exactly. This is way before so, the Gospels. Way before the Gospels. So, I mean, you know, some people will try to use this and say, oh, it's not a bodily resurrection. I I think it's clear for Paul that it is a bodily resurrection, but it's a different kind of body. And that and and I think that's really important. So anyway, I mean, to me, this is just just kind of fascinating. And I I think for a lot of people, they probably have never read this. Right. What they read of First Corinthians is chapter 13. And they've misread that as it is as a wedding. They never got to chapter 15. It has nothing to do with love in in that context. It is not about getting married. And if if you have this at your wedding, I'm gonna walk out of your wedding and I'm gonna I'm gonna spit on the church. Not really, but yeah. So basically, basically, you know, if you think of wedding crashers, right, and and taking, uh, you know, them betting, you're gonna get First Corinthians 13, or you're gonna get Ephesians 5. That's what Sam and I are doing, right, all the time. Like we know what the consistent, like the the consistent normal wedding passages are, um, and they're pretty much all bad for weddings. Um, yep. So anyway, for me. Um, I'm a huge fan of First Corinthians for a whole lot of reasons. This is one of the main ones for me. It's five over First Corinthians over Wisdom of Solomon. I 
we'll apologize to our wisdom literature friends. I know we have a lot of them out there. Uh, now we'll just see if wisdom literature Twitter can get it together like Luke Twitter and Roman's Twitter did. Dang, girl. All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it 4-1 just because I like Wisdom of Solomon. But you can't. I mean, 1 Corinthians is one of the one of the highlights of the New Testament, if not the highlight. Um, I, I'm not a huge Paul fan, but, you know, if people were to read it, it, it makes much more sense to me than something like Romans, which is just, you know, half-assery of theology. Wow. You're just doing everything you can to <laughs> piss off Romans Twitter. First Corinthians is a far superior book to Romans. Right. I, I, I mean, Ro- so Romans, you would say, is kind of like in the same group as Bart as a theologian. I would say, it, 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 don't just be post-Bartian. Be like way post-Bartian. Like be like uh, <laughs> like like Bart is Bart is like the Trump of of theology. He drives on the green. <laughs> Yeah. Like, like he doesn't care. And on the weekends, he doesn't go back and study the Tanakh. No, no, he, he goes back to his golf course and, and Bart drives on the greens of other theologians because he doesn't care. So next up we have the, <laughs> the gauntlet has been thrown <laughs> there. Next, <laughs> Bart drives on the green. I like that. I can't even imagine Bart driving a golf cart. It's like, yeah, I'm driving a golf cart. It's. I, I was going to say someone was his caddy, but that's probably inappropriate. Um, maybe a little, a little too much. Yeah, that'll be in the after show. Oh no, you you tweeted it. Yeah, there we go. That's going to be good. People are going <laughs> to love that one. Um, he was German. First Thessalonians versus Job. Do we want to? Is that past our line? Are we done? No, let's let's get let's get two more matchups. Let's let's let's. I think we can fit two in uh, quickly. <laughs> They're both actually really difficult matchups. But we're gonna <laughs> I was going to say, oh my in. god, how do we? <clears throat> that's how we're, that's how we're going to finish round two next week. So we've we've got to do it. We got to be disciplined. <sighs> I feel like Michael Scott. I don't know how to decide between my children. I like both of these books. Job, Job wins for me. Three, t- no, nah, what? Four one. <laughs> Just like that. Just like that. You know. Just you know like why, that. You know why? You know why? I like First Thessalonians, but people take it out of context. And they're okay. So, three fourths of the Bible is the Old Testament. Three fourths of the New Testament is Paul. There's enough Paul in this tournament. So, <laughs> just like that. First Thessalonians, you're out. Job. Just so we're clear, in round three so far, we only have. Two books from Paul. I know, so I'm doing well. Actually, I'm trying to well, win this okay. Time. This uh, is... We have another. We have another uh, Deuteropauline text later on. But um, okay, all right. So how can you vote? I mean, so Job is Job is one of the classics of literature and theology and the Bible. First Thessalonians is a, a fantastic book, but this is kind of like I don't know. It kind of goes back to like First Peter versus Revelation. Like these are both two great books that should be able to make it but they just happen to meet each other at this point in the tournament and only one shall pass and to me job just culturally and and just um in terms of uh, the theology it represents it's so much more sophisticated and and um representative of of the human condition than first that's (laughs) what i'm saying okay (laughs) Here's what First Thessalonians has going for it. 
it's probably it's the earliest letter of Paul that we have that survives, right? Um, so that that's not nothing. Um, also, you get a great insight into what Paul has been telling people as he's been traveling around, and then how that has freaked them out. Because they've clearly written to him and been like, "Okay, Paul, you said Jesus is coming back, you know, basically next Thursday. We've got people in the community that have died, and Jesus hasn't come back yet. Yeah, and, you, and, and so Paul's now Paul's now scrambling, right? Okay, right. well, actually, um, you see, you know, we will all be caught. You know, the dead will be raised first, and then we will be caught up in the air together with them, et cetera, et cetera. Don't fall asleep, stay awake. It's, it's so Paul's still like, don't worry." next not okay what last thursday it's going to be next thursday trust me on this one so it's really interesting um but then you also get okay well now is paul like um you know these kind of doomsday predictors that are kind of always like oh actually may 25th is going to be when jesus returns may 26th comes no jesus um so you're getting kind of this early glimpse into the disappointment um the kind of existential crisis that is caused by believing that Jesus is going to return in their lifetime and then it not happening. And this is something that I think Paul fully believed. He fully believed Jesus was going to return in his lifetime. And he was uh, obviously disappointed. With that said, Job is fairly unparalleled, isn't it? As a piece of literature. And I've got to go with you on that. I, I, I think the theology of Job, at least up to a point anyway, it does actually speak well to the human condition. Um, it it um, kind of champions uh, questioning the divine, uh, which I think is a positive and healthy thing. Um, I would take a knock off of Job because of how it ends, where God throws the God trump card, right? Like, oh, yeah, you didn't create the mountains. You didn't create the oceans. Like, look at me. Everything I did was uh, apparently completely cool. It doesn't matter because I'm God. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm not exactly cool with all of that. But everything leading up to that um, is something to me that is, uh, uh, yeah, there's so much there. Um, I've got to go with Job as well. 3-2. We're going to talk about it um, in its matchup next week, actually, against Hebrews. And that's going to be, um, I, I think, kind of a fascinating matchup. So, First Thessalonians has a pull for me, but I've got to lean toward Job 3-2 Job. So, so you're saying, like, Paul is the music man of the New Testament. He's saying, like, right here in River City, trouble with a capital T, and, the, <laughs> and that rhymes with P, and that stands for <laughs> <Yeah>. pull. <laughs> now, I know all you folks are kind uh, of like, yeah. are, are, are the right kind of parents. I'm going to be perfectly perfectly frank. Would you go, oh, I can't do it. Anyway, yes. Good job. Good job. Well done. It was a good connection. It was a, a support execution. All right. So in our uh, ESPN Ocho um, uh, over the weekend uh, shows, we we had a couple of uh, couple of matchups: Nahum versus Hosea, and Hosea came out on top of that one. And then Fourth Maccabees versus Malachi. Fourth Maccabees had no chance. Uh, Malachi slays stumbled out of the gate, which is pretty interesting because Malachi now has defeated second Maccabees and fourth Maccabees. So Malachi really is kind of like, like they've got Maccabees number, you know, if, if, if I'm of the house, Maccabees, because Judah didn't bring the hammer, right? He had the hammer, but he didn't bring the hammer. (laughs) It's like game of Thrones. I mean, you know, like, I don't know if you watch that, but you know, this 
Maccabees fans will get that the judo reference. Malachi um, is is the uh, queen of of dragons. The no, I said that wrong. What what's what's? There, there's I don't know. I don't dragons. There, there's queen uh, the princess of dragons. There's some kind of dragon thing. Anyway, that's Malachi. So somebody's cur- somebody's currently driving in their car, yelling at you right now. I know. I know. What what what, what what's the thing? I used to watch uh, Game of Thrones. Um, uh, uh, queen of dragons. Uh, uh, it's Daenerys. Daenerys. Yeah, that's her name. She used yeah. to be married to Drogo, who is now Aquaman, who used to be on Stargate, right here in capital in River City. Trouble with a capital T, and that rhymes <laughs> with P, and that stands for pool. <sighs> <sighs> I, I was hoping you would go back there. Um, okay. The last matchup we have to discuss this evening is... Maybe it's not that hard, but to me it's kind of a hard matchup. It's the Gospel of John versus the Gospel of Judas. Duh, that's uh, hard, John, man. That's hard. The number two overall seed, which has caused me quite a bit of heartburn uh, so far, gets a first-round buy, which, okay, a lot of people got a first-round buy in this in this bracket challenge. Um we talked a little bit about the Gospel of Judas last time when it overtook Nehemiah. The Gospel of Judas basically gives us a different account of why Judas, quote-unquote, betrays Jesus. And in the Gospel of Judas, it's because Jesus asks him to, right? Because this was necessary in, in the telling of the Gospel of Judas for, you know, all everything to happen, for Jesus to die and to raise again from the dead and to, you know, be the Savior and all that stuff. It was necessary, so Judas was doing the part he he was playing his part. Um, I think it's a it's a narrative that that is interesting, that that adds some that adds something to our discussions that should give us a little bit of pause when we think about the canonical version of the Judas story. But then it's going up against the Gospel of John, and as much as it is not my favorite gospel, it's hard to argue against the Gospel of John. It is clearly the most influential gospel. Um, I'm saddened to say that, but it is clearly the most influential gospel. Um, most people's you know, Christology nowadays has comes from the Gospel of John, and, and then they read that Christology back into Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That is not how they should be read, but that is what happens. Obviously, you got John 3.16 and things like that. You've got the great opening prologue, but honestly, it's kind of like, hey, look at this really cool Greek that I can write. Whew, okay, 18 verses, that's all I've got. <laughs> now I'm just going to go to this like kind of Shut basic. Shut my Greek. load, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. so, so you've got that. Um, I don't know. we got a lot of time to uh, talk about John in the future. But honestly, this was kind of a tough matchup for me, but I'm going to go 3-2 John over the Gospel of Judas. Ugh, I hate that because I was going to do the same thing. I thought you were going <laughs> to... I thought this was going to be the one where we split and we had to like. Where we split, I know. Yeah, I. I really do like the Gospel of Judas. I mean, it's 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 got a, an amazing story. Um, it was locked inside of a vault, in in New York City, in, inside of a safety deposit box, and then the family took it to Yale and they had it in the Beinecke Library, where I used to work, and and it's you know, ugh, it's very interesting. It, it's it's. The reception history, at least, is is fascinating, and, and you can go on Netflix and watch some really fun documentaries about it. Um, but John, I mean, John is is John. You know, like you can't you can't say that the Gospel of Judas is a better book than John. 
based on how we humans have received it because love it or hate it and 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 the the terrible terrible theological appropriations that some people have taken around the gospel of john which we'll talk about next week um or the week after um but the gospel of john is is a magnificent and incredible uh piece of work that that survives the ages so yeah i'm, I'm gonna have to go three two there as well oh that was hard I know that was harder than I than I thought that one was going to be too. Yeah. So n- next week we will finish round two. So stay tuned for that. Um, if you haven't checked out the bracket yet, check it out. See what we've done so far. Look at what the matchups are going to be next. If you want to go ahead and fill out another bracket, uh, you can do that. If yours is already shot, um, and we should we should maybe get oh, let, an update on yeah. Let's see who on that how we're doing here. Um, right now we have. <laughs> Professor McMakin is uh, in first place with 69 picks potential. I don't know what that means. Uh, a possible score of 54. Uh, then Trevar is at second place with 53. Wow, they're very, very close. Then Professor Walters uh, is there at third place with 48 points. And then Sheldon Steen is at 42 points. And then... DR, who doesn't count, is at 33 points. Then Mariana, then Dale. Anyway, it goes on down from there. Um, but yeah, so right now it's, it's kind of close between Professor McMakin and uh, Professor Simmons. It's pretty interesting. And, and is Professor really Walters is up there too with the Wrath of God. I know. Yeah. I, I didn't. And we'll see. I mean, we'll see how, how Sheldon does. I mean, he's obviously got, he's obviously, you know, slanted heavily toward uh, the apocalypses. Um, and you know, we'll see what, what happens there. He's banking on Daniel that, that could happen. Daniel could happen. Um, Daniel's got a, got a interesting path to take, but we've seen crazier things in the Bible. Where's, if you like this, what there's Daniel. Okay. Yeah. So Daniel has first Maccabees next. Yeah. First Maccabees is, is like the, the Kentucky, like, like they're going to either fold or, or play hard right that's exactly right that's why you should stay tuned for the second half of round two and round three and round four and round five (laughs) yeah but it goes really quick after this like this week i mean we're we're at i mean next week we're going to be deep into round four and there's only what eight matches like we're almost in we're in the quarterfinals next week like this thing is going to wrap up in two three weeks that's pretty crazy (laughs) It's pretty crazy. Um, 16 weeks after we thought. 